Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love the old story about the ship that came up to the island. And the man had been lost on the island for years and they'd kind of given up ever finding him. And he goes out and, and, and uh, the people in the lifeboat, they bring him to shore and he, they bring him onto the boat and go on shore and they check it out and they notice an anomaly. And the anomaly is that kind of like Gilligan's Island, they had the hut here and the hut here. I said, I noticed that in the 30 years you've been out here on this desert island, you built two churches. And he said, well, what's the deal with having two churches? And the guy who'd been on the island looked at the gentleman. He said, well, you always have to have two churches. One that you worship at every weekend and one that you'll never set foot in again. Every church has its stuff. No church is a perfect church because every church is built up of people who struggle. No church has an unimpeded run. Not the church in Corinth, not the church in Ephesus, not all the churches mentioned in the book of Revelation, not even St. John's Orge. Every church has its good days and its tough days. Every church has its super tight, gathered together, strengthening moments, and every church has moments when it fractures and our history as a church since 1882 is kind of aligned with with that in our text this morning from first Corinthians chapter 1 I, I love those words the words of warmth and kindness words for Christians who needed a little bit of guidance in what was going on a word that would get them back on track that would get them tracking along strong with the way they'd been planted Word had, got back, word had gotten back to Paul that they were struggling, that while living in a decadent and, a, and an immoral city, that the church in Corinth had moved away from the narrow path upon which it had been built and started to incorporate some questionable practices, and they were struggling with one another. That was just a tough time in their church. And so if you have that bulletin open to that scripture, I'm just going to work through that scripture a little bit this morning. And honestly, my, my goal is that you'd be grateful for our church and for the good work that God does at St. John's in Orange and that you'd feel more connected and more engaged than you were when you walked in to worship this morning. This is the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God is thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Even though the Corinthians had some issues, and Paul's going to address those in the chapters following, he starts out with this beautiful, warm shot in the arm. 
He doesn't look at him and, and begin, you're all so dumb and you're all so wayward and, and I'm just going to beat you up out the chute and then maybe at the end I'll say Jesus loves you and go from there. Rather, Paul starts on the foundation of God's grace. He reminds them of the good news of Jesus Christ and the focus of Christ in the community of their church. And while this scripture is descriptive of what was going on in Corinth, it's also a good piece of scripture for us to filter how we think about God's ministry here in Orange and the work and the grace that God has given us at St. John's. The church is where God's grace is poured out. It's where people are, are, are poured over in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. I love the idea that, that, that grace is being poured out rather than measured out. It, it's not one for one sin for grace. It's not maybe a little less grace for that sin. It's poured over us. God's grace is free to his people. That's what makes it grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. Grace is God beholding us in love. He doesn't look at us through the lens of sin and dismiss us. He doesn't look at us through the lens of shame and walk by. Rather, Jesus pays the bill of sin on the cross. He covers the shame of our sin with the robe of his righteousness. And anything that would separate us from the love of God has been poured out and poured over in the precious name of Jesus. And that grace, that unconditional love of God is so incredibly transforming that it has built up a universal body of people called the church. Grace has launched and guided the church. And grace calls humanity out of sin and death into forgiveness and life. And while the grace of God is free to us, that grace costs God the life of His Son, our Savior Jesus. And so while we receive grace as a free gift, we're also reminded of the cost, the value, and the rarity of God's grace to us. But make no mistake, when Paul says grace, mercy, and peace, he's calling us and building us on the grace of God for us in Jesus Christ. Simple, right? Simple. If I got up and preached hellfire and brimstone and preached that everyone was going to hell this morning, not only would everyone wake up in a different way, but I would not be doing the service that God has called me to do, to preach his love and his good news to you. The church, our church, this church, is centered and focused on the grace of God in Jesus Christ for you and me. Secondly, Paul writes, the church is where God's people are enriched in every way. And it's interesting to think about that in, in light of where we've been through the pandemic. You could look at the church and say, well, the church is dialed out. Church is struggling, church is hurting, church isn't as big as it was. Church is not here, not there. It's all just kind of washed away. No. The church has been enriched in every good gift, in every way, Paul writes. You're here. You're dialed in. You are enriched today. The sermon may include two things. It may be both long and boring. However, 
the content of the gospel is rich and meaningful for all of us. And each one of you made a sacrifice to be here this morning. You left a warm bed and maybe coffee had to wait till after the service, but you are enriched. This morning at St. John's, we, we come forward and gather around the, the table of the Lord. I don't have the Orange Hill buffet for you after church or during church, but what I do have is the bread and the wine wrapped around the promise of Jesus, and you are enriched, connected to the cross for forgiveness and grace. Last Sunday, we had just the most beautiful baptism at the 1030 service. Little Maeve Wildermuth had more hair on her head as a six-month-old baby than I've had in my whole life. Absolutely most beautiful child in the world. You see, the church is where the people of God are enriched. This morning, you are enriched through the gospel of Jesus Christ by receiving the sacrament of the altar, by being incorporated through baptism into the body of Christ. And what God does in that word and those sacraments is he moves our stare from ourselves to other people. When we focus on our sin and our own brokenness, by the word of the gospel, God leads us back to his son, Jesus. One of the blessings of the pandemic is that people in our congregation and in congregations across North America, while maybe a bit fewer in number, are more engaged, more deeply connected, more committed to the ministry of the gospel that enriches and thinking less about what's in it for me than how am I enriched and how can I serve other people. I love that. The church is where God's people are enriched in every way. Thirdly, Paul says, the church is where the gifts of God's people are used for the benefit of all. Our congregation is, went bonkers October, November, December of 2022. We had a very fine last quarter of the year. And there's a post-pandemic move that continues to unroll at St. John's. There's high morale. There's a, a spirit of we can do and we can get after it. And I love that. I love it when Pastor Trevor sits with groups of people and they say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Trevor, Mary, what can St. John's do? That happens over and over and over again. Dr. Hollitz led and put together a portion of the Lutheran Educators Conference. We were able to lead the worship in that. 13, 1400 people, souls encouraged by the resources, the people, and the spirit of the congregation that we have here in Orange. We are called to use our gifts not just for ourselves, but to go into the community with high morale, with full hearts, with smiles on our faces, biting off bigger and bigger pieces of ministry with more and more effect. We have a crew in the air right now. The, the, <laughs> the browser on my computer is tracking the flight that went yesterday afternoon from Dubai, from LAX to Dubai this morning. It's not lost on me that in the universe, the world is a small place, but it's a long way from here to Dubai, 16 and a half hours. They're there to go to Kenya because there's work to do. They're traveling halfway across the globe in our name to open their hearts to Susan's ministry at GraceWorks to reach in and help children and people who have so little 
and rejoice so greatly in the Lord. They're there to use their gifts to share, to offer love and grace, to use the gifts of this church in a way that makes a difference for others. When we get to the prayers this morning that Pastor Stoddard is going to lead us in, you'll notice there's an inordinate amount of people grieving. Perhaps that's because we've had 14 deaths since Christmas. This last week, in eight days, we had four funerals. Thank God we have Micah Rabel to help us out and to do those. Actually, he's supplanting me as the funeral guy, which is kind of interesting. I'm amazed at how you mobilize to wrap care around other people. As soon as someone goes down that you're close to, it's something as simple as the best chocolate chip cookies ever for a funeral reception. It's people rallying around other people and bringing them groceries and food and the things that they need. It's a congregation that has the resources to help families when someone dies unexpectedly to maybe pay for the cremation or the burial or whatever, but to be able to step in when people have nothing and when they're at their most vulnerable, to be able to give care and love in a spontaneous, in a spontaneous manner. You wipe away tears. You drive to the store. You pick up medicine. You give. You support. And as your pastor, I'm grateful, grateful for you sharing your gifts with one another and loving one another with an uncommon and rich love. And perhaps that piece illustrates the pivot of the North American church post-COVID the absolute best. How can I enrich somebody else? Not what's in it for me, but how can I serve? How can I give? How can I engage? How can I connect? And if that pivot is pervasive across the Western church, then the powers of darkness better watch out because the light is becoming even more focused to help other people. I don't know in your house if you have a plan B. I've got plan B. When the rain came down and things went bonkers, I got plan B. I got my stuff by the door. I'm ready to go. The camelback with the water goes. I just got plan B. My grandfather had plan B. He said, Timothy, whenever the car gas gauge gets below half, you need to fill it up. Now, gasoline for grandpa was only about 45 cents a gallon. It's a different world we live in today. But you got plan B. You got contingencies. Maybe you have an envelope of money here and there. Older folks, older generations, years ago, they put a $20 bill here and a $20 bill there. And it was kind of plan B. If something went down and didn't work, you had a little something to fall, fall back on. Businesses, governments, congregations, everybody has plan B. Except God. God does not have plan B. You are plan A. And God does not have plan B. There's not a place anywhere in my Bible where God says, well, if the church can't get the mission done, then I got, I got a whole other thing in reserve. I've read the Bible from beginning to end any number of times. There is no place in the Bible where God says, here's plan B. If the first thing doesn't work and the church fails, I got something else. The church is plan A 
And there's no break this in case of emergency, plan B, for the church. John says the one who stands to the end will be saved. Paul says the church is the place where people stand firm until the end comes. The church is not the mission. The church is the means by which the mission takes place. The mission is to make disciples of all nations by baptizing and teaching, by teaching and baptizing. That's our mission. And the mission goes on until Jesus returns. I didn't have great insightful stuff to tell you today. I'm not looking for great behavioral change. I'm not passing the offering plate 10 times today. Don't have to, don't want to, wrong thing to do. But I think it's important that instead of a behavioral moment, we have an attitudinal, grateful moment. At the dawn of a new year, how significant is it that we give thanks to God for our church and for the church and at the dawn of 2023 to think about and hold in our souls the faithfulness of God and the mission of his church and in thinking through that for a few moments and resting in that meditating on that in a few moments on a rainy Sunday morning to have our hearts stirred for gratitude for the inheritance that we have in St. John's Orange and the ministry and the good work that is before us in the new year. And so we, be, we end where we began with those marvelous words of Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.